The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. Well, listen, we are uh, in this series, as uh, many of you know, we're going through the Gospel of John. It is a series that we call Overflowing. Uh, it is a series in which we see these encounters that Jesus have has, and over and over again, as he walks into situations, as he... As he interacts with people, we have this sense that, that he busts expectation, that he begins to expand wisdom, that he brings new life by calling people to a new dynamic. And that new dynamic is not uh, kind of a new formula to follow, a new set of rules necessarily to follow, but it is simply to say, I want you to come into relationship with me, because that is who you are designed to be. And as you do so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin to expand things for you. I'm gonna, I want to share with you what it is that I, my very, God's very heart for you, and it is to be fundamentally in relationship, and then everything else flows out of that. Well, tonight we're going to continue doing that. We're going to look at John chapter 5. We're going to look at a passage that for uh, many of you I know has been a, a really important passage. It has been one of those kind of, kind of keystone passages. It, I know it's one of those that has done that for me because it has this sense uh, of getting right to the heart of the matter, of kind of putting its finger right on the situation in which uh, we often find ourselves, these kind of kind of keystone moments even in our lives. And it has this way of kind of getting right to the heart of the matter in a way that is, that is challenging, but is also unbelievably freeing. So as we look tonight, there is a question that all of us are going to have to answer, that all of us uh, need to to hear. So if you have your if you have your Bibles, open it to John chapter five. We're going to read uh, the first seven verses out of that. You can follow along with uh, us as well on the on the screen behind. We read that sometime later Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now one of the things that happens throughout the Gospel of John is that that, that make, these huge feasts are kind of kind of key kind of markers throughout. You often see Jesus kind of showing up at feasts. We don't know exactly what this feast is feast is, but it makes sense with kind of the rest of the gospel because he shows up and what he does is he bests expectations of these feasts. You think you know what this particular kind of high holiday is about, but I want to expand that. And he's often calling attention to himself. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Now some of you, if you have, you might have different versions on you, that You'll see, an addition in, you'll see an addition in there. What it goes on to talk about is that there is... Uh, it might read something like this. Uh, in the, in these, it, it, at that place lay a multitude of those who were sick, the blind, the lame, the withered. And then there's a parenthesis. Waiting for the moving of the waters, for an angel of the Lord went down to, at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. Now, the NIV leaves that out, and that's the version that you see that tonight. They leave that out because really it's a, it's a, kind, of a, a, a kind of a parenthetical statement, and it probably was not in the very earliest manuscripts, but it was it put in there later because John would have assumed, as he's writing to people, that they knew exactly kind of what the deal was with this pool. But uh, later on, some scribes probably said, hey, I, just need to, I want to enter this in. Not necessarily what you're supposed to do, but I'm going to enter this in just so people kind of know. But the point is this is that there, underneath these five covered colonnades at this, at this pool, 
there is a sense where there is a, there's some restorative qualities to it. And so what happened is a great number of disabled people used to come around it. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and walked. This is one of those passages, it's a a short passage, and, and yet in this section, really what we find is really a vivid picture that invites us in. It's It's a vivid picture, though, that turns on this really one phrase. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? I mean, it's about as pointed as you could possibly get. And it turns on this passage because before that, there is this sense of, well, there has to be, if you want to get well, there is is a challenge. There is this scene, something of, of ill health that is challenging people. And there is this question, are you part of that group? Are you part of that crowd that needs that to hear that word that, that somehow is not well? It challenges us with a scene that we, for most of us, want to do everything we can to distance ourselves from and say, that is not me at all. But on the other side of this is another challenge. And the challenge is, is this. It's a challenge from Jesus that we don't expect. It's a very direct challenge. It's a challenge that begins to lead us into places of life. Well, so you can imagine the scene. It's a scene in which you're walking in, Jesus is walking in, and the people that are there are simply those that are not okay. We read that there was a great number of disabled people here around this pool. A great number of people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. See, somehow, because of the restorative qualities of this pool, that for, for whatever reason, there was a sense where it, there was kind of this community that gathered, and that, because there was this hope that somehow if you could get into the water, somehow that maybe you would be healed. And so you had this group of people, a multitude we're told. Obviously, it wasn't a super effective pool. It wasn't something where people were just getting cranked out and getting healed. But there was a sense that it kind of it drew together. And so everyone there were those that, that, for one reason or another, needed some help. Now, it's something that, for most of us, we go, you know, I, I probably don't maybe have sort of a, a major illness. Some of us do. Some of us do struggle with... Some particular, challenge, some particular challenges, but for most of us, we kind of go, well, that's not my people. That's not who I am. And yet what you realize is that when we drill down on this just a little bit, that what is going on here is that the pool is describing, yes, the, the, the blind, the lame, the invalid that seem to be sitting around it, but more so it describes those who have come to understand that their life is limited, is frustrated, is unstable, is lacking any kind of power to move forward. That maybe this is not just about them, it's not just about the, the broken people out there, that, that maybe this has something to do with me. See, when we're looking at, at depending on your translation, you might hear kind of a, a number of categories of people. People that perhaps you think is, is not me, the sick, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Well, the NIV gets this right by, by sort of putting a controlling word, and that controlling word is that they choose is, is invalid. See, it's the sense that it's not just kind of a bunch of different categories of people. It's, it is the invalid. It is the people 
who are experiencing some sort of weakness, some sort of inability, some sort of limitation. That's kind of the Greek word behind that. It's not even invalid. It's just really, it makes sense to translate that, but it's the sense of people who experience inability, frustration, limitation, weakness. They somehow can't do what they long to do. They somehow can't live into the purpose for which they are called. They are somehow limited. That's everybody. There's one category of people here. It's not just a bunch of them. It's one. And then there are three sort of descriptors of what that looks like. First of all, you see the the blind. The the word for blind here, as we we kind of push into this, the, the blind are those that Behind kind of that, that word for blind is this idea of smoke rising. It's those people that have had their vision clouded because of the smoke that has risen in front of them. They can't see, and for sure it, it, respond, it means it is uh, talking about physical blindness. But throughout Scripture, it is also used in such a way to talk about sort of a spiritual or mental blindness. A, a sense of not being able to see, even though you might have eyes to kind of take in simulation, you, somehow you can't see really what is going on, really what is true. We're On Sundays, we're going through sort of these seven letters to seven churches that you find in Revelation, in which there is a, there is a word that is given to all of these churches, a, a revelation from Jesus through John. I, I want you to tell each of the churches something. To the church of Laodicea, he says, you know what, you guys have this idea that because you are wealthy, Because you have had some success, you don't need anything. You do not need anything. You think you've made it. You think your wealth, your titles, your success, you're fine. You're great. And yet there is a blindness to you. He says, I can see what is true. And what is true about you is, yeah, you may have a sense of wealth, but but what is true is that you are actually, you are naked and you are ashamed and you are blind. In fact, the great challenge out of Laodicea is that you are neither hot nor cold. You're not living to the fullest of your potential, even though you have all this wealth. You're actually living in a uh, limited way. You're neither hot nor cold. You're not really good for for healing anybody. You're not really good for refreshing anybody. You're You're living a limited life. There's a sense in which these things that we can start to chase after that we think is going to give us success... The things that we can chase after which we think is going to make us strong, make us be able to to be the person that is going to get everything we want. We realize that the smoke starts to come up in front of our eyes. And perhaps the very things that we were running after are the very things that are leading us astray, away from from the things that we want at the deepest core of who we are. We find ourselves blinded because we cannot see the way forward. The very thing that we are running after is the very thing that seems to be leading us down, but we can't see which way to go. Well, there's also the lame. The lame are those people that, that don't have a limb that quite works. It's a, it's, they don't have a foot that they can really stand on. So there's this sense that they're not balanced. I mean, it's like they're always kind of trying to, they're always, they're limping along because they can't really put their weight down on something. And so when you start talking about this being more than just kind of an asic person with a particular disease, and you realize this is talking about people who are experiencing a sense of weakness in their own life, you begin to see, he's talking about not only those people who can't stand on their foot, but those people who in some ways know that there's a part of them that they cannot trust. 
they cannot put their full weight down on. They, they can't depend that it is, it is going to come through when they need Him. And so what they do is they spend their lives compensating for that very thing, working around it, spending lots of energy, not on running with everything that they have, with all that God has called them to be, but somehow just kind of limping on, trying to compensate, hoping that they won't fall. All they have is the ability to hobble. Well, then you have the paralyzed. And the word behind the word paralyzed is this word withered. It's, it's the withered. It's those that have a particular limb or something that, that is withered. It, the word comes, really, it's, it's talking about dry ground. It's being totally dry. That you're paralyzed, you can't move because you are absolutely worn out. You are exhausted. There is a sense like this image, that you might have something growing all around, but all that you experience are cracked, dry ground. You want to have something fruitful happen in your life, and yet you are just absolutely exhausted and have no ability to even move forward. Well, all everybody that is around those pool are in some way, those who, whose lives are described as weak, as frustrated, as unable, as limited. In a word, thin. They're living thin lives. Now last week, Colby actually referenced the great divorce for us, which I think is a great idea, a a great way for us to talk about kind of thin lives, to get an image of of sort of what we're being, the bigger thing that we're being called into here. Now C.S. Lewis, he's, he's imagining sort of this interaction between heaven and hell. That there's somehow that he's using this, it's funky, but he's using this idea of this, this great bus ride that, that goes from hell up to heaven. And hell, is, as Lewis imagines it, is this expansive gray town. It goes on for miles and miles and miles, and it's basically empty. You really don't see anyone. It's, it's always sort of, it's like Seattle, really. Always gray. I mean, you read it, you're like, oh, I live in hell. It's always gray. There is a sense that only, except for this sort of this bus depot, that, this station, that, that there really is no one there. And yet he finds himself on this bus that goes up to this land that is expansive. Suddenly, colors come in, kind of come into focus. That, that he sees this great plain and, and they sort of end up stopping on this great plain with this great mountain that's overlooking it, which they're sort of constantly dawn. You know what dawn's like? If you've been out early in the morning, you can begin to feel sort of the sun on your face. It's that sense of, uh, of, of warmth and hope and life coming into the day. There's a constant sense of dawn there. There's a great city sitting on top of this great mountain. But on this plane, the bus stops and out get a number of characters. And as he begins, they begin to get out into the, into the light of day, he suddenly realizes something about this group that he's with. He says, I gasped when I saw them. Now that they were in the light, these are his companions, they were transparent, fully transparent, when they stood between me and it, that being the light. Really smudgy and imperfectly opaque when they stood in the shadows of some tree. They were in fact ghosts, man-shaped stains on the brightness of the air. One could not attend to them, or one could attend to them or ignore them as you will, the same as you would do with dirt on a window pane. And I noticed that the grass did not bend underneath their feet and the dew drops were not 
even disturbed. In fact, he goes on to be able to say that as he w- walks around, that the grass is kind of like sharp diamonds or, sh- or sharp rocks on bare feet. It hurts actually to walk. And, and so these, these sort of these creatures, these ghosts, are, are hobbling around this wonderful, bright, vivid world. Well, in contrast, he noticed there are these characters, these spirits, these what he calls solid people that are walking towards him. And in contrast to not being able to, to make any depressions on the, on the grass, they are actually there's a sense that, that the ground shakes beneath them. There's a timelessness to them. There's a light that comes out of them versus sort of a pale, sort of shadowy gray. There's an agelessness to them. There's a, a sense in which there's kind of joy and maturity held together. There's a sense in which they are neither naked or clothed because there's nothing for them to hide. There's nothing for them to be ashamed of. Well, what happens is these painful interactions as we go on between these solid spirits or these solid people and these, these thin or these light shadowy people, and they're painful because we see that somehow they continue to cling on to the very thing that is making them thin. We see an interaction of a, of a man who cannot see beyond what he thinks he is owed. He thinks that he has lived a perfect life. He thinks that he is owed absolutely everything. And he dismisses the guy that he talked to because this, this person, this solid person he talked to, actually murdered someone. And yet what he doesn't realize is that he lived anything but a perfect life. In fact, he made life hell for all those around him. There's a man who is in love with his own theological knowledge in fact, he loves theology so much as long as he can continue to smugly remain the expert at the middle of a conversation, as long as it never goes anywhere. There's, there's an artist who loves the fact of their own recognition, their own fame, and cannot stand the thought that perhaps someone gives even five bucks for a painting of theirs. There's a woman who's, who is lost in the sense of what she is wearing and cannot embrace the beauty that is right before, there is the cynic who will trust in nothing, will trust in nothing but his own ability to distrust and blame everybody else for his life, waiting for somebody else to fix it. There's a sense that goes on and on and on. It's painful to see there are these characters that are clinging. Instead of responding simply to the invitation of each one of these solid people to let's go further in, I want to take you on. I want you to experience this firming up, the sense of you growing into who you're created to be. You're simply just a shadow or a shell. Let go of this thing. And then over and over again, they hold on to what blinds them, to what is making them lame, to what is withering them into nothing. They're clinging to a thing, a thin existence. Now, I don't know about you, but I have had those moments where I've looked in the mirror and thought, man, I'm thin. Now, some of you are going, yeah, it's because you're thin anyways, right? You look back at some of my high school pictures and you can barely, like, I look huge now, which is ridiculous. There's a sense, but I mean, you you look in and you kind of go, man, you realize there's a sense that despite all that we've owned or how good or how much we've come along or how we've progressed, there's a sense of thinness, a sense that our life is paralyzed, that we can't blame anybody else and if we do it doesn't really matter we can't wear anything we're not smart enough there's a sense of thinness there's a sense 
where we cannot move forward in the way that God has created us on our own, there is a sense that we are stuck, that we have the inability to move forward. No, this comes at all kinds of points in our life, I think. At some point, it might come early on. I know for me, it came to a point where I was a, a Christian for a long time, but there, there was this moment when I, I was over, I was even going to a Bible school, and I've shared a little bit about this before, but there was a moment where I, I sat there and I realized that so much of what I had initially clinged on to Christ, and, and He had brought life, and I, had, I had, had grown in that, and there was a sense of me becoming more solid, and yet I came suddenly to the end of myself and realized that there was actually a thinness to me. And the thinness was my own sense of pride. See, I could, I could get away with anything I, want, I wanted because I was the good kid. Everybody thought I was great and I only did what looked really good. And yet, when you pretty soon you realize that, that sense of pride, that sense of I'm going to do the right thing all the time and I want people to, to think well of me, that actually begins to wear pretty thin. And suddenly I came and actually to this very passage and realized that the life I lived, though it was a life following Christ, I realized that I only went so far because I essentially was paralyzed. I was totally withered. I was totally lame. There was no sense of balance to me. I hobbled along trying to maintain my own sense of pride instead of living into what God had called me. And there was a sense when I was actually, my eyes were opened up and I realized that At this moment, there was a sense of being anemic. See, these moments come to us. They come to all of us at one point or another. There are these terrible moments. There are these moments where we feel stripped down, blind, unstable, in chaos, dried up, and we get this terrible question from Jesus. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? I mean, come on. He pushes us at the very thing in which we feel the least able to do. Do you want to get well? And by well, I mean this. Do you want to be healthy, balanced, ordered, sound, solid? Do you want to begin to move from the gray that you're experiencing to the vivid color that I've always had from the very beginning in store for you? You get brought to this moment of decision. And that's the second thing, which is so interesting in this, that Jesus... You know, he comes off as almost cruel, doesn't he? What do you mean? I mean, can you imagine walking into a hospital and walking around going, hey, do you want to get well? Well, pfft, your problem, do it. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? I mean, there's a sense where you're like, of course everybody wants to get well. I mean, you can't imagine asking somebody like that. And yet, when we push on that a little bit, we realize that maybe it's not quite that simple. Maybe it is a little bit complicated. Maybe... It is actually difficult to really, to really want to choose to get well. Bruce Robinson tells a story that is just brutal. When we were down there, he he tells the story of a guy, wonderful guy. I mean, the guy, this guy made uh, everybody laugh. He sat outside of this particular restaurant, and he would come up, and what he would do is he was actually lame. He had, he could not he could not walk. He somehow. He, but he would get set up there, and so he would crack jokes with everybody as they walked in, and if you paid him a few bucks, he would watch your car and make sure nothing happens to it. Okay, that's kind of the way things work in Haiti. Everyone ha- does a little something, and they, they earn a tip out of that. Well, this, this guy, he kind of he brought a little entertainment, and he would watch your car for you, and Bruce loved this guy, and so he thought, all right, well, I'll give this guy, I mean, this guy's lame. I mean, come on, this guy can't walk. I'll give this guy a couple bucks. Well, what he realized 
is that this guy actually could walk if he would take uh, some medicine. See, the very thing that brought his, his, his paralysis, his uh, uh, disability to not be able to walk, was a pretty simple procedure, was pretty simply solved with some medicine, yet his family would not give him the medicine because then he would lose his ability to make money. It was at that moment when Bruce decided to stop giving him money. See, there's this unbelievable sense. I mean, you, you listen to that and you go, how in the world could that happen? And yet, we begin to know that if we want to get well, that means that there is this point of decision in which we have to be able to move away from, from what we know. And the hardest thing in the world to do is to change because it involves risk, because it, moves, it involves moving away from the very thing that we have become comfortable with, even if what we've been comfortable with is hell. At least we know it. At least somehow we can manage it. I mean, of course the idea sounds good, but we don't know what would happen. We might have to give up that very thing that we have been putting at least a little bit of dependence on. A, a little bit of our identity has gotten right. It might not be very good. It might not be that stable. But at least it supports me somewhat. At least it, somehow it has worked. And so we end up hobbling around instead of running. Because it's too difficult to make that risk. I think the thing we also have to understand is that he is not just speaking to everybody but he's speaking to just this man. I mean, he, he walks into this place that it, there's, it says there's a multitude of people. This isn't the only interaction. This isn't the one interaction that Jesus has with people either. He, he walks in and he chooses one guy. He doesn't walk into this whole thing that full of invalids and those who are paralyzed and those who are, who are weak and cannot move forward. He doesn't go in and just say, hey, you guys just all get better. He talks to one particular guy and I think we have to ask what is unique about this situation that this guy needs to hear this particular challenge? Do you want to get better? And then when he hears his response, get up, take your mat, and walk. I mean, we, let's think back a little bit and what's happened as we've gone through this series. Jesus speaks into the very kind of tangible, everyday sort of thing that we that we run into all the time. At the wedding of Cana, they run out of wine. It's an embarrassing social situation. And Jesus speaks grace into that. And he brings about abundance of wine. There's joy. There's quality. There's a quality of, that they haven't ever experienced before. And there, there's just tons of joy. It's abundant. And he speaks in. He wants to speak into our lives, into the, the very, very everyday places we live. He takes seriously the questions, the intellectual questions of Nicodemus, and he meets him in that. He takes... He spars a little bit back and forth with them. He speaks into the shame of the woman at the well. Coming alongside of her. Graciously beginning to call her into something more. He speaks to the desire for purpose that the disciples have. Saying, I want to open your eyes because the purpose you are wanting is right here. And yet, there is some moment in our life. Yes, Jesus is going to always come alongside He's going to come alongside. He identifies with us. He knows what it's like. He's going to speak grace into our lives. He's going to, he offers forgiveness into our lives. He gets it. He walks with us. And yet, in our lives, what is true about Jesus as well is that he is going to bring us to a point of decision. He is going to bring us to this point where he is going to say, all right, listen, do you want to get better or do you not? 
Because listen, I'm not going to force anything on you. I'm not going to take away your agency. I'm not going to, I'm not going to just sweep in and pretend you're not there. I take you too seriously. But I'm also not going to stand by and watch you continue to sit into something that robs the very life that I have designed for you. If you're going to continue to live this life that is thin, when I've clearly opened the way for you to, to move into the solid and vivid life that I've designed for you, I'm going to put that decision to you because I take you that seriously. Because I know that you can do it, but I am never going to force myself on you. And so he brings for all of us this sense of yes, grace, yes, power, yes. The man, he tells the man not to get He tells the men to get up after he has been healed and yet the man has to obey. And so if we're going to experience the the sense of overflowing that God has for us, at some point we are going to have to come to these points. And I think there are many points throughout our lives of decision. Of saying, are we really ready to walk away from the thing that is causing the paralysis, the blindness, the sense of being lame? Are we ready to move away from the thing that we have come to depend on that is really hobbling us? Are we ready to move away from the thing which we have put our identity in? And yet God says, man, there is so much more for you. Now this comes to us as we begin to come to the end of ourselves. At some point, this will happen as we begin to start a a journey with Jesus. At some point we have to be able to say, you know what? I may not know everything, but at at this point I know that to continue on, I need to be walking with Jesus. I cannot do it on my own. I may not know everything, but I, I know that I need this relationship with God to begin to move on because I am at the end of myself as far as what I can do. And I know that there is something more. And the question is, I, 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 might, I might have to separate from the people around me who think that, man, to, to kind of be in this place, to be community, it's fine. To kind, of the, kind of the limps that we all, we all have the limps together, and so we'll just continue on. And, and to separate myself out feel, might feel really difficult, and yet God is calling me into something more. Or for some of us that maybe have been walking with Jesus for a while, it does not mean that suddenly in, everything instantly is fixed, because He is going to bring us to these points where He is going to ask us to let go of the very thing that is keeping us from becoming fully who God has created us to be. The decision will come to us one way or the other throughout our lives to move from a life that is thin, that is shadowy, to one that is vivid and is solid. And how we answer this question when it comes to us will depend on whether we are going to grow in faith or whether we are going to grow in hostility. Later on, right right after this... the Pharisees who keep the Sabbath, they, they, they love the Sabbath because in the Sabbath there is a sense of new life. They, they find out that this man is walking around on the Sabbath and they, they get consumed with this idea, who told you to get up and move? Who told you to get up and take your mat and walk on the Sabbath? They're consumed with this idea. And yet they totally miss that the whole point of Sabbath was to bring you life. And here's a guy who has been in, paralyzed for 38 years and now he is getting up and moving around with a strength that they have never seen before. This causes them to want to kill Jesus. Interesting, isn't it? He, and and some of the interactions that come out of this, this is the thing that drives them not only to resist Jesus, but to want to kill Jesus, because he starts making claims that they are not ready 
to accept. So for us, do you want to get well? Do you want to move into this place of health, of balance, out of chaos? You're ready to get up and to leave what is behind you. To do so is going to take humility because it's going to mean that you're going to have to admit that something isn't quite working. And yet, like so many of these shadowy spirits, the the issue is, man, just don't camp out on that. Don't Don't ride that one into a shadowy existence. But simply open up. But it's also going to take courage. Because it's going to mean exposing yourself in ways. It's going to mean taking risks. But unless we take risks, we will never grow. It's not going to be easy. It never is promised to be easy. But Jesus says, if you, if you only but pick up your mat and begin to walk away from the very thing that you identified yourself with, then I'm going to begin to show you something. Show you who you are in a way that you will never experience otherwise. I'm going to begin to show you joy. You begin to talk to anyone who has begun to follow Jesus for the first time or those who have come to this moment, and the thing that they will say is, man, it might not be easy. It it might be actually difficult because it's really hard to, to let go of some of those things that I put my weight on. But man, there's a sense of joy. There's a sense of new life. And it is that that Jesus is asking us, do you want that and are you ready to take a risk and follow me? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for this, this image that comes to us that we don't want to identify with because it might mean that something in our life isn't working and that we might have to let go of something that though it hasn't worked very well, that though it might be paralyzing us, that that though we might be completely weakened by it, it means we have to let go of it and hope that there is something better. Lord, whether we are exploring faith for the first time and, and have the sense that there is something more for us, and what comes to us is that we need to, to take that step and, and accept what you have been holding out to us. Or whether it, we or some of us are coming to this place where we are at the end of ourselves, where we are feeling just totally broken, totally dried up. Lord, and it's because you have something that you want to refine out of our lives, an impurity that you want to re- remove from us with our permission so that we can become pure, a solid gold, more of who you've created us to be. Lord, I pray that you give us the courage and the strength to be able to do that, to respond with obedience, to take up our mat and begin to walk away from the thing uh, that you're calling us from. Pray this in your name. Amen.